Welcome to the Wealthy Homes Podcast, where we help young Michigan families manage their finances and create wealth. I'm your host, Connor Bowserman, financial advisor with Preferred Financial Group. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Homes Podcast. Great to have you back. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on tackling debt and then in turn achieving financial freedom because of that. I think it's super important to manage debt and the impact it can have on your overall financial well-being. And if you've been listening to my podcast for any time now, you, you know that I'm really against debt and you can still use it for your benefit, especially when it comes to real estate, but it can have a huge financial weight and a burden when it comes to your overall financial picture. So if I could give you an, an analogy It'd be like if you were to be walking with something really, really heavy. Like not too long ago, I went and, of course, just being a stubborn guy, I pulled a couch out of my house, didn't have anybody to help me, so I just hoisted it up on my shoulder and just walked it around my house uh, to put it in my garage so I could do some renovations. And, man, was it heavy. And it was good that I was only going a very short distance because if I wasn't going very far... I don't know how long I could have held it, but I think debt can be kind of viewed in the same way. And if you had a really, really, you know, heavy backpack and you were to be walking a long distance, well, you could go a lot faster and a lot farther with a whole lot less weight. And so just like debt, if you can take it off as fast as possible, you'll be able to go farther and faster for a whole lot longer. These financial weights and these financial burdens may not seem like burdens or weights at first, You know, maybe you do have a payment and that might not feel great to make that payment, but you might be hopping into that new car or that new Jeep or new truck, or you went and did a renovation on your home, or there's a, the list is endless, or you went on the vacation that you never thought you could go on. I'm not saying that those things are bad, but eventually they can lessen the amount of financial choices that you're able to make later on in life. A big example of that would be somebody who's looking to potentially quit work or quit work for a little period of time to be able to raise their kids or to stay home with their kids. Well, if you've got two car payments and maybe a credit card that's gotten a little out of hand or you've bought in a house that's way too expensive and maybe it's your forever home along with those cars, well, you financially put yourself in a spot where your lifestyle is really, really high. And it does not allow you to be able to quit and maybe go down to one income to be able to live during that period of time. So you're forced to go back to work or you're forced to go back to work even sooner than you would like to because your maternity leaves only four weeks or six weeks. So getting out of debt allows you to make some other financial choices that maybe you wouldn't have done before that or you wouldn't have been able to do because you've kind of financially put yourself in a corner. So that's why it's really important to pay down debt and allow yourself to be able to make these financial choices. And it doesn't always have to just be the ability to stay home or have your spouse stay home. It can be something like it allows you to buy that investment property that you've wanted to do or invest in some kind of a business or side hustle or something like that that can financially put you in a much, much better place, maybe not right away, but as time goes on. So that's really what we're shooting for, what we're going for in this podcast episode. So we're going to be kind of focusing on that, taking some of that financial burden away from you and the ways that we can mitigate that. But first, I think it's important to 
talk about how people got to that point where they're carrying that weight. And it's probably one of the big things that parents don't talk to their kids about. We talk to them about getting a good job and making sure that they're finding a good spouse and, you know, those normal things. But talking to them about debt is usually something that we just hope that they figure out on their own. And as we know, it's something that we should have been taught a long time ago. And so if this is your first time hearing about it, great. But most people can agree that they're not doing a very good job when it comes to handling debt. And the numbers and the statistics speak for that. So there's different kinds of debt. Uh, there's consumer debt like credit cards and and then there's also debt like student loans and personal loans. And then there's like mortgages and real estate loans. But the big ones that I really want to focus on today are more of the consumer loans like credit cards, personal loans, or or even loans on like like cars or trailers or, or boats. Because those are loans on things that aren't appreciating over time. So let's kind of get into that just a little bit. I was talking to one of my friends not too long ago, and we were kind of talking about in a roundabout way how debt can be so crippling. And we kind of started talking a little bit about credit card debt. And I kind of blew him away when I started talking about the numbers. And I was telling him that there was this study by Value Penguin that the average household has $5,700 in credit card debt, which doesn't sound, you know, too crazy. But I told them only 38% of households carry credit cards, which implies that the actual debt per household is a whopping $16,000. I remember him just being so kind of blown away by those numbers. And from my experience in talking to people who do have credit card debt, it is 5000 plus. And often do they get into the teens before they start feeling like, hey, I got a, I got a problem here. And... Then the conversation from there was, okay, how do, how do people get there? Well, it's because they usually don't have an emergency fund. And the statistics show that 68% of Americans could not cover a $5,000 emergency without going into debt for it. And then the statistics show, too, that most people are just overspending just because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses. So then when an emergency does happen, what are they doing? They're putting it on their credit card then they can't afford to pay it and that monthly payment becomes too much. Then they're making the minimum and then because of the interest in that credit card, it just get, continues to accumulate and then you haven't fixed the problem of overspending. So it just keeps on snowballing into a worse and worse issue. Now let's kind of pivot. So let's assume that you either have debt or you know someone who's in debt and you want to help them. So what are some ways that you can kind of dig yourself out? Well, there's two main methods when it comes to paying off debt. But before you even think about paying that off, you need to clip the credit cards. You're just apt to spend more. And McDonald's actually did a study when they first started adding the credit card to their payment. And I think the order went from like $3 something to like over $7. It had over doubled what the person was willing to order just because they were able to spend it on the credit card. So people are more apt to spend more by having a credit card and then you add all the other social norms and keeping up with the Joneses and that kind of stuff. So if I could encourage somebody, it's to just cut those things up, put them in a lock safe, put it somewhere where you cannot use it anymore. And, and even if you do cut them up or you put them away or they expire, 
you can still get a new one. You can call the credit card company and they'll be glad to issue a new one. So don't be afraid that it's just going to start whacking your credit away. And at this point, if you do have too much debt, it really doesn't matter what your credit score is at this point in time. So let's kind of pivot into some ways that you can pay off that debt. And there are kind of two different methods. And one's called the snowball method and the other one's called an avalanche method. So the snowball method is basically where you're taking all of your debts and you line them all up. You pay all the minimums on all of the balances and you take the smallest balance and you pay that one. But then you take that smallest payment and you just attack that one. And when once that is paid off, then you take that payment, you roll it into the next smallest payment, and then you just keep on rolling that snowball until that debt is completely paid off. The second one is the avalanche, and it's kind of the, the exact opposite. So you line up all your debts, and then you're taking the highest interest, and you're paying that payment first. And whether it's the biggest or the smallest, you're paying that biggest interest off first. And on paper, this is the best method. You will pay off your debt fastest and paying the least amount of interest by doing the avalanche method. And if you've been listening to Dave Ramsey or if you've never listened to him, his big thing is that the avalanche method just doesn't work over time, especially if you have amassed a huge amount of, of debt. And in my experience, I would agree with him. If I could give you an analogy, it would be like somebody who's maybe trying to lose weight. Say their goal is to lose 20 pounds. And if you're doing it healthily, you're trying to probably lose around a pound per week. Well, that would be like your snowball method. Hey, you're going to sit there and you're going to continue to lose weight. And it's going to be a pound for pound each and every every week and over 20 weeks you will lose that amount of weight well the avalanche method it would maybe feel like you were losing ounces and it would do that week in and week out and it would just keep going and keep going until maybe let's say about week 15 then bam now all your weight's starting to fall off you're starting to lose five six pounds in a week and you were able to lose that 20 pounds over maybe say 18 or 19 weeks if you were to take a guess, which one of those weight loss methods was going to work, which one would you choose? Of course, it's the first one. It's the one that's going to be consistent. You start to see the progress and you continue to make the progress because you do see it. But the avalanche just doesn't work very often because you just get sidetracked. You feel like it's taking too long. You know, the family vacation comes up, you were doing really good for a couple of months, and then everybody told you that they're going to Disney World, and so you had to go. That's usually when the avalanche method falls apart. So that's why I usually would encourage people to go for the snowball method, uh, unless they can kind of do some type of a hybrid option where they can pay at a really small balance that maybe has a really high interest, and it just kind of works out that they're kind of doing a little bit of both at the same time. Now, if you're interested, or you, whether you want it or you want to give it to somebody else, I do have, it's basically just an Excel spreadsheet, but basically you can go in and put in any of your consumer debts, whether that's even up to a mortgage, you can put that on there as well, but you can put your consumer debts on there, maybe it's a couple of credit cards or one or two, and then a personal loan, and you know, maybe you've got a loan on a car. Those are some things that you can put in there, and 
you can basically play the game of the avalanche or the snowball method or some kind of an option in between. Like if you wanted to maybe pay off your car first, maybe that's a big goal of yours. But if that's something that you're interested in, that's completely complimentary. Just send me an email and I will be happy to share, share that with you. It's a really good way to go through and see how long is it really going to take me? Can I do this? Is it manageable? And then just being realistic about how much can I really afford to put some extra payments towards this debt to really get rid of it. Now, a question I get asked almost always, especially if they're looking to pay down debt, is, hey, should I consolidate all my debt into one company or one payment? My answer is usually it's probably not in your best interest. Sometimes is and sometimes works out to your benefit just based on where interest rates are and that kind of stuff. But most of the time, if you put all of those debts in that calculator, like I was explaining, and did either one of the methods, but I would obviously encourage you to go to the snowball, you'd most likely be better off by doing it that way than consolidating it all down into one payment and then just attacking that one payment. So what you're usually doing is taking a bunch of, say, minor issues and taking them all and making one major issue with one payment. And usually, you got to think of it in, on, on a business standpoint, you've got all of these different debts Obviously, the company is got to be financially making money on it. So likely the interest rate that they're charging is more than what those all would be added together. Now, this isn't always the case. I know that there were some great times where people could consolidate their debt, especially when interest rates were at rock bottom. And it did make sense, especially when they had student loans or that kind of stuff. So if they do have questions on that, feel free to send them to me. I know one of my buddies did that not too long ago when they were looking at consolidating some student loan debts and if it made sense to them, that stuff does not cost you any money by doing that. I'm just trying to help you out and better you for your financial future. But that can be a way to maybe pay off your debts faster or slower. Just really depends on your situation and, and that consolidation company. Now, I would assume most of the people listening into this episode are millennials or older gen z's or maybe young gen x and you've probably got some type of of loan or some type of debt whether that's your house or cars or personal loans whatever it may be we've obviously talked about ways that you can pay down those loans but let's say you're down to the last couple well how do you pay extra for those different loans well sometimes you either have to make cuts or you have to make more well, making more is sometimes out of our, you know, ability. Say we're salaried, you know, you can go work another 40 hours. It doesn't matter. Now your hope is obviously that you'll get recognized and, and maybe get in a promotion, but it doesn't always equate to extra pay. So one of the ways that you would have to then make a pivot is to cut some expenses. And so let's look at some different creative ways that we can do that. So one big one, especially if you do have a mortgage, is to make one extra principal payment. So if your payment each month is $1,000, you're making another extra $1,000 payment in that year. You're going, and you're, again, you're putting this against the full principal. You're not paying taxes. You're not paying insurance. This is all full $1,000 going into your principal pay down. 
over time, this will pay down your loan by usually about a quarter. So if you've got a 30-year mortgage, this is usually cutting at least five years or more, sometimes even up to a third, depending on your down payment and all that great stuff. But the big thing is you're paying down that, that payment uh, over time, and it's lessening that payment. So eventually, you do not have that debt, and then you can turn around, and like that was giving that analogy at the beginning, now you can run faster and farther because you do not have that financial obligation. So that's a really cool way to, to lessen your payments over time. Another one would be to buy groceries at wholesale. I know I love Sam's Club. Kind of just depends on where you're at. Some people like Costco. I would probably like Costco too. I just don't live close enough to one. But especially with kids, buying at wholesale makes a whole lot of sense. So let's kind of give an example. Let's say each week you make some kind of pasta, whether that's spaghetti or fettuccine. Well, maybe instead of buying that one jar of sauce, you buy a whole month's worth at the wholesale and you're able to save a couple dollars here and there. Those things add up and you can look at what you're buying over a course of a month that you're able to buy at wholesale. Some things like fruits and stuff like that aren't the best to buy at wholesale because you're not going to eat it fast enough. But those things that have a huge shelf life, it makes a whole lot of sense to go to wholesale. If you're looking at paper towels, paper plates, uh, toilet paper, that kind of stuff that really lasts almost forever, 100% buy that at a wholesale. You're saving so much money over time by buying it there. If you have kids, diapers, that kind of stuff also goes a long way by buying it at a Sam's Club or a Costco or something like that. One way that Nicole and I have really cut back or tried to cut back is to buy groceries online. Not only has it saved us a lot of time going into the, the grocery store, but it's also saved us some money. You're not going in hungry or going in and starting to see deals that you think that you need and you're buying some food that you probably wouldn't have ordinarily bought. So if you buy online, you're able to buy the things that you need. And a lot of times you can you can save time too because it's saving your orders from last time. So if you're kind of doing a frequent buy, maybe that's the fruits and the vegetables and that kind of stuff, it makes 100% sense to buy online. Not always, the, not always the case. Obviously, you can find deals if you're one of those bargain shoppers. But buying online can save you money as well. And then the big one is eating out less. I know everybody kind of rolls your eyes. It's something that we all know that we need to do, but it can be hard, especially if you have kids and you're living a busy life. But let me kind of run you through some numbers. So let's say you're like average week going to the grocery store is like, let's say 150 bucks. Now, if you divide that by seven days, that's around $21.42 a day. If you divide that again by three each meal, you're looking at about seven bucks. If I went to Chick-fil-A one time with my kids, I am spending well over $30, no doubt. Now, now, even if I try to save some money here and there or cut corners, I'm spending over 30 bucks. So that one meal was one and a half days worth of food at, at home. And that is one way that you can save a whole lot of money. I know I go to the grocery store and I look at steaks and I'm thinking, holy smokes, those are expensive. No way I could afford those or eat those. But then I'm willing to go buy Chick-fil-A. No, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So making sure you're not eating out as much. And if you do eat out, maybe do some kind of takeout or, or something like that. Because sitting down is going to be even more expensive. Because not only are you ordering food, 
that's usually more expensive than some kind of a takeout or fast food, but then you're adding some kind of a tip or gratuity on top of that. Not to say it's not worth the experience at you know special occasions and date nights and that kind of thing, but making sure that you are prioritizing where your money is being allocated. Because again, if, if you're going out for a couple of times a week and that one meal is equal to one and a half days worth of food, well, if you go out multiple times in a week, you're talking about easily a week's worth of food that you're spending on just a couple meals. So one way that we also kind of mitigate that because we do like to eat out from time to time or if we got a busy schedule is to maybe just order pizza out that's a good one that we feel like we've kind of ordered out we don't have to do dishes but for us to buy, like, buy pizza and breadsticks and that kind of thing for the family it really doesn't cost us a whole lot and then Nicole's really good about this too is doing stuff on rewards so we're able to save a little bit of money on that over time as well one of the next big ones, because usually the biggest items on someone's budget besides maybe their mortgage is going to be their transportation and their food. So we've kind of covered food already. So let's kind of move towards transportation. And I talk to this about my clients all the time because it's usually, hey, my car's on its last leg and I need to go buy a new car. Oh, how old's your car? Oh, it's only like seven years old or 10 years old. Well, you kind of have to look at some numbers when it comes to the car. And I understand if your car really is on its last leg or you feel like it's in the shop more than you're driving it. But let's kind of look at some numbers here. NerdWallet from 2022 said that the average payment for a new vehicle is 716 bucks a month. And for a used car, it's $526 a month. Now, obviously, some of that is just increased prices in cars over time, especially from COVID. And then you add increased interest rates on top of that. That's making those payments a little bit extra as well. But my argument for most of those people who say that their car's on their last leg or it's a beater or whatever, well, one major car repair, say a thousand bucks, is equal to one or two payments of, of car payments. So you got to have your car in the shop a lot for it to financially make sense to maybe buy a new car versus the one that you've got. Another argument that I hear from time to time too, especially if they're trying to validate what they're doing uh, when it comes to buying a new car is, oh, well then this will, you know, decrease my maintenance cost. Well, maybe for a little bit, but all cards need batteries, brakes, tires, oil changes, the normal stuff that everybody's going to have when it comes to the wear and tear of cars. So just because you're maybe saving, you know, when you buy that newer car that they did some maintenance, which you're obviously paying for when you buy a new car, but you're still going to have to pay for that at some point in time. They don't last forever and you're going to have those payments. And then at some point, you're probably going to have to pay for those things on top of the payment that you're making now in the new car. So I'm not saying that you always have to be stuck in this rust bucket, especially if you're from Michigan, you know that. But making sure that you're really making a good, solid financial choice when it comes to the cars that you're driving. Because again, the big two things that are on your budget besides your mortgage, which I can't always, <laughs> I can't always change, right, is your transportation and how much you're eating out and the food cost. If I could just throw in a little piece of advice too, if you're thinking about looking at maybe a different car or something like that. Take a hard look at your financial budget and your financial overall financial life. And if you're meeting all of your goals, you're saving for retirement, you've met your emergency fund, you've got amount saved for that family vacation, all that kinds of stuff, absolutely go for the new car. 
but don't prioritize the new car over those long-term goals that you set for yourself. I keep hammering this because the big goal, the audacious goal that you should have for yourself is to be completely debt-free. And it should be completely debt-free before I retire. And ideally, before my kids go to college or something like that. Because could you imagine if your house was completely paid for and you were completely out of debt, how much financial resources you'd be able to put towards your kids' college education or to be able to pay for their wedding or be able to set them on a really good financial path, whether that's to help them with a down payment on a house or to get them into some kind of a duplex where they're able to invest in real estate. That is the whole goal of getting out of debt. Can you still go somewhere with debt? Yeah, like that analogy I gave you at the beginning, you can have weight on your shoulder and still move forward, but you're not going very fast. And I think that's a lot of a big argument that people have is, hey, look at me, you know, I, I made it, I'm successful now. Well, just because you took out debt and you're successful doesn't mean that you couldn't have done it better by getting out of debt sooner to be able to invest and do those kinds of things over time. So that's my kind of little rant there. But again, the big real goal is long term to get that financial freedom of not having debt and what that opportunity can look like for you. I encourage you along the way to celebrate the little victories and milestones along the way because they are important. So if you do pay off, you know, your student loans or if you pay off that credit card or those types of things, find a way to celebrate and to, to enjoy those milestones because they are important because it is putting you one step closer to being financially independent. Now, before we go, know that you're going against the grain. I know I referred to this a lot in episode 15, which is kind of having that financial mindset, but not having the nice car or maybe the best house or eating out all the time is going to be against the grain at times. And it's going to maybe seem weird to your friends or your family, but no long term you're doing it for your family and your personal life and you're doing it for the better. So before we go, think of 10 of your best friends, 10 of them. Going back to my earlier statistic, seven of them couldn't cover a $5,000 emergency fund without going into debt. So I encourage you to send them this episode so you guys are all like-minded and know that you guys are all working towards being financially free. All right, guys, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy Homes Podcast. Be sure to click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Connor Bowsman or Preferred Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of Connor Bowsman or other qualified financial advisors with any questions you may have regarding this episode. Connor Bowsman is a licensed financial advisor and any of the investment advisory services offered are through Harbor Investments, member SPIC. Products and services provided are not NCUA insured, have no credit union guarantee, and may lose value. Consumers Professional Credit Union and Marshall Community Credit Union and Harbor Investments are separate and independent companies, and credit unions are not providing security services.